to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely he did something that no other friend could do Good morning. morning. That was good, Dean. Everybody so far is attentive. I'll whisper to you the ones who would nod off during the message. 
Thank God for that song by Jenny. It's so touching. If we have any visitors today, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. This is the San Ramon Valley Bible Church, and um, we're happy to have you here. I titled my message today, Being Forgiven and at What Cost? But uh, as a way of introduction, I want to share a little story that I saw firsthand. Some of the men in the prayer meeting have already heard this, so forgive me, men. But it was pretty amazing to me. I was over at Natalie and Randy's house, and the little guy was asleep. And um, Bubby, who is Jordan, by the way, and Nunu, who is Haley, were sitting at the table eating but allowed to do some little crafts. So I just gave them greetings, and I moved into the office and sat with Randy when I heard the most feared words from a mother. I think it's mostly a guy thing, but maybe not exclusively because um, we seem to get in a lot more trouble. Uh, Jordan Anthony Ackle. You remember, guys? When you're, or am I the only one that got the full title when I was in deep trouble? So curiosity got the best of me, and I, I went back out, saw my daughter just frustrated to no end, and she said, that's it. No more crafts for you at the table while you're eating ever. She took them off. And Nunu is just over there doing her thing. I mean, she didn't skip a beat. She didn't, wasn't phased by anything. And she's just drawing something quietly like this, right? Never looked up. So I, I went over and I leaned down to, to uh, Bubby and I said, Bubby, this was wrong. You have to ask mommy and tell her, rather, you have to tell her you're sorry. And he goes, but grandpa, it smelled bad. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but you don't ever throw your food on the ground. You know that. So what are you going to do? And he goes, mommy, sorry. I'm sorry, mommy. And with that... My daughter drained all the rage and frustration and just drained out of her. And she goes, okay, Bubby, don't ever do it again. And she brought the crafts back and sat him next to him. He was smiling. By the way, Nunu's still going like this. And here's the thing. Bub, that was grace. <laughs> I, I went, wow. Four years old, or almost five, and she's preaching to a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler. So, in all, in all humor aside, it is showing the principle of, and God's principle, to do with forgiveness. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that once again we have the privilege to gather together in your name, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> and hear your word and, 
and hear what we have to share on it. And I pray this morning, Lord, that everything is yours, your words, not mine, your thoughts, not mine. I pray and I lean totally upon you to uh, just speak to everyone. You've already spoken to me on this, and we thank you now. And again, Lord, we just ask that you, in a special way, visit our guests this morning and bless them. And we just thank you now in Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is a very familiar one to many people, even outside of Christianity, if they ever watched one of the Jesus movies, because it's always in every one except a Mel Gibson one that only focused on the the, uh, punishment and crucifixion. But it's the woman who was caught in adultery. And he was at the time in the temple, and he was teaching. And the scribes, as jealous as they were, and the, and the Pharisees, and as angry as they were, thought they really had something going here. So they wanted, their only goal in the whole thing, they didn't really care what Moses had to say. They didn't really care what the scriptures, the writings had to say. They just wanted to trick Jesus. Not good. After all, he is God. He and his father instructed Every man in the Old Testament, what to write. So it was sheer folly on their part. But we're going to take it up this morning in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 7, which will appear momentarily. God bless you guys who open the scriptures. I go straight to the screen because I don't see so well anymore. And I see that a lot better than my Bible. But when they, that is the Pharisees, persisted in asking him, he, that is Jesus, straightened up and said to them, and I just love this, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. May God bless the reading of his scripture this morning. I'm just going to go down... Uh, a, a few thoughts I have to do with forgiveness, to do with redemption, to do with sin. And the first one will be to do with sin. And I like to go to the Bible. I like to go to Webster's or another dictionary because I always enjoy the secular. How much is going to be from God's perspective and how much is going to be from theirs? 
Amazingly, there's not a lot you can do with the word sin because you get out of our circles and yeah, it isn't discussed a whole lot. I know from my past when I was the sin, sinner of sinners. Definition of sin, transgression of divine law, the sin of Adam, any act regarded as a transgression, especially a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle, any reprehensible or regrettable action, behavior, lapse, great fault or offense to commit a sinful act, to offend against a principle, standard, etc. Pretty good. I also like the living translation if we need to get a little more specific and, and understand what some of the sins are in case one of our guests today is not that familiar with Christianity. <clears throat> I like the, the living portion in Galatians 5.19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, and anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The condemned woman, she had no doubt what she was. She knew she was an adulterer. She knew she was a sinner. It was, uh, it was, it was not a shock to her that she got caught. But in the Old Testament, she knew the next step was normally death. I can guarantee you of one thing. We will see that woman in heaven. And she never went back to her old life. I am confident of that. As a young woman, uh, yeah, oh, let's, let's try that one again. Get it out now, because you're going to get it out again. As a young man, I did know right from wrong thanks to partially the era I grew up, even if you weren't religious and we were not, um, there was still order in the house. But I knew that before I came to Christ. And I think if we're honest, most of us when we grew up knew that if we did something wrong, there would be consequences if we got caught. So that's sin. Second shocker, we're all sinners. Every single last one of us is a sinner. And we have, yes, you can blame them again, Adam and Eve. They started it, but it's in us. You can fight it, you can discuss it, you can argue it, you can rationalize it. Bottom line, we're sinners. If you have any doubts... This verse of scripture, 
pretty much clarifies that in Romans 3.23. For all, not some, not most, not a few, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us is a sinner. The next point is as sinners, we're condemned. Not a pleasant subject. Not a pleasant thought. But nonetheless, there's only two places each and every person can end up in. Only two. Forget all the other religions. And boy, do we as Christians take a flack for that day in and day out. Who do we think we are that we have such an exclusive? We have such an exclusive because it's the truth. We are under judgment. In Ephesians, it says so. We were no different than everybody else before we got redeemed. And because of that, we are judged. Every single last one of us. This is going to rub some of you the wrong way, but we were judged the moment we were born. Actually, the moment of creation. It's in the bloodline of everyone. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. The wages of sin... And yet here's one of the most marvelous things for me in the scriptures and in the subject this morning. My next point is, while we were sinners, Christ loved us. Every last one of us on the face of the earth. And as a young man, I was very arrogant I was very indifferent, sarcastic. It ran through me like crazy, rude with people I didn't like. And I didn't like Christians at all. And I mocked their Christ for many a year. But the shocker came on a Saturday night and of all places, the Leamington Hotel in downtown Oakland, which unless you're a senior, you probably don't even or haven't ever even heard of it, but it was a hotel back in Oakland in downtown years ago. I don't even know if it's still there. But there was a seminar going on that I was dragged to. So in 1974, as I listened to a guy that I thought was me, the way he was talking, it was just the way I am, just the things I did, everything, including a mockery of Christians and their Christ. And then he hit me with the big blow because at the ripe old age of 14, I decided I was an atheist. Didn't really totally understand it. I just didn't want to go to church anymore. And my mother never went to church, but she sent us. And so one Sunday she says, you're not dressed for church. I said, I'm not going. She said, what do you mean you're not going? If you want to come with me, I'll go. That was my, that was my card. Right? And she goes, fine, your choice. 
And so I just said, there is no God. But believe me, those of you who have grown up in a Christian home, just thank God, seriously, and be thankful for the way you were raised because you didn't want to live the life I lived. But this guy hit me with the big blow when he told me that Jesus Christ loved me as he loved him in spite of everything about me and about him. It just hit me hard. It hit me so hard, I just went back to the room, fell on my knees and wept and accepted him as my savior. Some atheists need to see something like evidence that demands a verdict or study the scriptures and discover that they're really true. I didn't need that. I didn't need that. What I needed was to know, in spite of who I was, in spite of what I did, all of that, he loved me. It was just an amazing experience. There's a reason why there's a scripture that's put up at every sporting event practically and, and, and parades, because it's one of the keys, one of the pillars of Christian doctrine. John 3, 16, and I'm adding 17. For God so loved the world that his only begotten son, that, gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Yes. Why we were still sinners, Christ loves us, each and every one of us. If you're out there today and you haven't accepted him as your savior, he loves you. Hard to comprehend that, but it's true. My next point is Christ is our only solution. There is no other option. It's him. It's him alone. And once we understand that we're condemned before a righteous God, we're now ready for the solution. But you have to get there. And getting there, I know personally, is hard. It's not easy. Everything in you wants to fight it. And there is, an influ there is two influences in the world. God is one of them. And don't be fooled, the devil is another one. Everything evil that goes on in the world, everything that goes on that's wrong with this world, it is the devil. And he just wants to carry you away because he has only one goal. He wants to see each and every soul in hell. That's all he cares about. And the minute you become a Christian, newsflash, you are his enemy forever and always will be. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, period. He did that for us. He did that for each and every person. Not every person turns and accepts it, but he did it. Everybody qualifies for that love. Next point is for forgiveness, because that is so essential in the conversion process to Christ to become born again. Forgiveness to be given, conviction and remorse must be present. Always. Otherwise, why are we there? Why are we looking for him? I sure never looked for him until I got to that point. I didn't think about him unless I brushed up against somebody that was a Christian. I remember this poor guy on our Coast Guard ship in Vietnam, the nicest guy, never went off the ship when he had liberty, stayed, and he was always a quartermaster, so he was on the bridge, and they have the big plotting table, and we were just behind him, radarmen, but nicest guy, and every time I saw him in port, there he was with his coffee, his stool, and on the plotting charts was his Bible. Boy, he's going to be so shocked in heaven when he sees me. <laughs> or, or, he prayed and never stopped praying for me. And I hope for that. But, what a man. Being sorry for our circumstances just means we've had a sinful, miserable life. But being sorry for our circumstances isn't what it is about to come to Christ. It has to be beyond that. Because we all have consequences, we all have things happen, and we just wish they didn't happen, but they do. But you can't come and, and make a quick acceptance and, you know, Look at the, 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 the tract that says, pray these four things and you're in. Fast, past, delivered, you're on your way to heaven. No, no, it isn't that way. Conviction must be there. Conviction must be genuine. There needs to be real grief in our souls when we hear that Christ died for us. And that was enough for me, but I'm telling you, Mel Gibson, man aside, forget about him, but Mel Gibson made that movie, and as I watched it, and I watched the suffering of Christ at the hands of so many, my life has never been or ever will be the same after seeing that. It was well worth it to see what he went through for me and for you. But we have to have grief in our souls. We also have to have gotten to the point when we're enough of ourselves already and we know we need to be rescued from ourselves. And until you're there, not going to work. Little emotion, little tears, it's not going to work until you realize that we as individuals failed. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16, 30 and 31 makes a really astounding statement. 
But how did he get there? He got there because he had Paul and Silas imprisoned, and who knows what was going to happen to them next. And trust me, if you're the head jailer of a jail back in that time, you're not a nice man. You are not. You do cruel things to people every day. But as he heard their words, and we know they sang songs, and the songs they sang, a lot of them back then, were scripture. It worked in his heart so that when he fell asleep and he woke up and he saw all the doors, he was ready to take his life because he knew somebody else would anyway. And Paul said, no, wait. And so he ran into Paul down to his feet. And this is what he says. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was ready, wasn't he? He was stopped making the decisions for himself. His confidence in himself has failed in the area of spiritual things. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What a glorious day it was for him. What a wonderful day it was for him. Next point is never lose sight of this. Christ is our sacrifice. He paid the price for each and every one of us. He paid the price. Why? Something had to take place between God and man because the, the chasm was just too huge. There was no way we were going to approach God. But Jesus Christ paid the price, took upon him, who was so pure, who was so wonderful, who was so loving. He is God. Took upon himself our sins. And I don't know about you, but mine were nothing but detestable and horrific. He was our solution. Isaiah 53, 5 through 7. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. A beautiful portion reads sometimes Psalm 103 about that. What are some of the wonderful things he did for us? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. He took the sacrifice. He paid the price. He is our solution. Last point. Christ is our redeemer. Praise be to God. Have you ever been in need 
and you just, at the time, you didn't have what it would take, whatever the situation is, whatever the, the circumstances were, and somebody intervened, or maybe even you just got something unexpected in the mail, but it took care of the situation, is that not a wonderful thing? Is that not a sense of relief? It's just, at first it's incomprehensible that it can happen because it looks so, it looks so hopeless. It just, I, you just looked at it and looked at it, whatever the problem was, and it just, there didn't seem to be any solution. And yet, somebody or something came through and took care of the situation. First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Praise be to God. What a wonderful day that is. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. As this transaction is taking place, there becomes real regret for our conduct when we hear the gospel. The good news that God loves us just the way we are, which would be wonderful if that's all it was, just a thought, just an experience knowing that he loved us. But it isn't because he went all the way to Calvary for us. He came down for us, for you, for me. So in conclusion this morning, in understanding forgiveness, and that's our goal this morning, salvation is always the first step. You can't go beyond that without becoming born again because it really will become meaningless. But when you do become born again, it becomes priceless. And there's nothing more wonderful than knowing that your heavenly Father and your Lord Jesus Christ have forgiven you. Have you ever had a situation with somebody turned bad? Either you said the wrong thing or regrettably circumstances, whatever it was, and all of a sudden there's a separation there and it gnaws on you. I know it does for me. I know as Christians it should gnaw on us till we get it right. But it's so glorious. It's, so, it's such a portion of peace to our soul when the reconciliation takes place, doesn't it? Things are better. Things are good. I love this song by Isaac Watts. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? 
Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. Amen. Before I read the last scripture, just a, a comment to Christians in our personal lives. He forgave us, didn't he? Did we deserve forgiveness? Never. Nada. No way. But he did. So in our personal lives, in our relationship with other people as Christians, is it conceivable to God that we should hold forgiveness back from someone? Is there a situation, is there a circumstance that tells us not to forgive? Or as, or as the quote was said once, Oh, I'll forgive, I'll just never forget. No. Because what does God say? Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. If we go up later on to talk to God and start talking about our sins again, he has no recollection. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Psalm 145, 17 through 21. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning that we've had the privilege to be here, to look at your word, to understand more about your forgiveness, to know we are forgiven people. Oh, how blessed that is that we, we don't face death and hell. We only face death one day in heaven where there are no more tears, no more aches and pains, no more devil whispering in our ear, no more difficulties. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. And lastly, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know yet how much you love them in spite of what they've done and who they are. Speak with them this morning, Lord. Visit with them. And never let them go until you've rescued them from life and hell. In Jesus' name, amen.